0: Hello everyone, it's Artem, and today I'm joined by Matthew Myram. Matthew has spent the last decade helping the best of the best in weddings and events to present their creative vision through 3D renderings and illustrations. His company, Matthew Myram Event Visualization, Inc. has become the go-to creative partner for luxury event planners who need to provide a higher level of service for their wedding and corporate clients by providing visuals that tell the story of their event. Matthew, welcome. Hi. Now, just to be
1: clear, is it Matthew or Matt, or what do you prefer? Uh, either is fine. Uh, in, in graduate school, I used to think that Matthew made me sound more sophisticated. And when I said that, the person next to me said, you're a Matt. And I said, uh, fine. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> <laughs> well, she she knew me from undergraduate, but uh, I, I have one friend here in New York who uh, is allowed to call me Matty, because uh, otherwise it just makes me sound like I came from Boston, which I don't. uh, (laughs) I guess otherwise, otherwise, I don't really care. (laughs) Got it.
0: So, if you feel like Matthew's more sophisticated and you are a sophisticated fellow, I'm gonna go with Matthew. Well, I have have aspirations to be, yes. Excellent. Okay. Well, I think uh, that's like acknowledging that self actualization is never achieved, it's just the goal to always get there, right? Yes. Cool. Excellent. Um, So, obviously, with your professional bio that I just read. It sounds great, but I'm sure in layman's terms, maybe some people didn't quite grasp like 3D visualization and what it truly means. And you are much more than just a a designer of things. You're obviously a creative. And can you take us through what that really truly means and how you get a planner through step one of just coming to you and saying, Hey,
1: I need something and how you really bring that vision to life. Got it. Well, it's been an interesting journey with that because, um, I'm very rare within the industry. While there are other people who do visualization, most of them are uh, primarily corporate work and haven't really uh, punctured into uh, weddings. When I often see a wedding rendering, it's from an interior designer that was most likely uh, an interior designer for the client and decided to also be hired for that. Um, Mm -hmm. So for me, figuring out how to do that has just been a 10 year long journey. that when I first started off on my own, uh, the person who really got my name uh, in, I guess, in the mental front door of most of these planners was my business mentor Sean Low. Uh, mm-hmm. He uh, he had worked with me when he had he had been the boss when I was working uh, for Preston Bailey, and had he had left the company a few months before I did, and knew he knew that I wanted to go out on my own and to and to do. My favorite part of the job working for Preston, which were the renderings and and the drawings that uh, he uh consults for a lot of wedding planners and was able to frame the value of what I do to them very well uh, as as Sean has wanted to do and uh, so at the beginning of two thousand eleven a number of of New York planners started to reach out to me to do work, and ever since then it's it's either been a steady flow of work but then for, uh, going to wedding conferences and meeting a lot of people that way and people either understand uh, very quickly the value of what i do either because they've been in a situation where they might have needed someone like me and they didn't realize i exist or people will find what i do an interesting uh oddity but not part of they they don't necessarily see where i can be part of their creative process and Mm I don't see it, for me, it doesn't matter um, if they don't value me or if they don't understand what it is that I do, that's fine. Uh, I'm still happy to know them socially and if they come around and and understand what I do. But in the same way, I think there are certain people's businesses that don't actually, will never find value in what I do. And that's perfectly fine because their focus may be on something vastly different than what I provide. Sure.
0: And I think that when you are speaking in the luxury event space, you're talking about planners that are constantly storyboarding events. So I would think that they more than anyone would really understand the value of what you bring to the table. Cause I really feel like you take the concept of a storyboard, but you basically just blow it out of the water. It's like a storyboard on steroids, if you will, because it's, it's three-dimensional right. and it really, really kind of drills home the point, and I know a little bit about your process, so if you want to take our listeners through that, because you start off with just a a blank slate, and then you say, we're going to put things here depending on what they want, right? So we're going to architecturally maybe put something here, we're going to put tables here, and then
1: you go down all the way to like florals, right? Yes, yeah. Uh, I would like to do, go one step back in regards to when you were saying about um, how Oh, that that some people maybe not seeing the value in what I do is that every person's creative process I think is distinct, and I think it's also very personal. And for some, and I remember this when I was a graduate student for theater, that this idea that that some part of your idea needs to be your own, or that if someone else is there being your artist that you somehow have either lost control or lost ownership of an idea, and i mean that's a it's, it's a valid concern uh, because depending on a person's uh, creative and personal boundaries a person can you know steamroll through someone and kind of take possession of an idea for me though i've found that uh, and maybe it become it's from my background as a set designer that uh, in the end you're always trying to tell a story and i've realized the story i'm trying to tell is to express these planners and, and designers, I'm trying to express their ideas and while I'll have a certain way that I might draw it, to me, uh, to me it's always uh, to let that person lead uh, in, term, in terms of create, creatively so that when it comes down to the process, uh, I don't hand, a spread, have them hand them a spreadsheet, I don't say we well, need to talk about this, this and this. It's always a conversation that starts out with, tell me about this event, tell me what's important about it uh, tell me about the details of it. Tell me about the feeling of it, because in the end, that is really kind of creating the the huger foundation off of which all the little details are going to be built uh, and each of them, as I was saying, some have put together uh you know huge spreadsheets of all the pieces of furniture and the ground plan. others have put together a powerpoint presentation that they 've shown their client so that the client understands the, um, the the pieces parts or a particular table others have sent me photos from a mock-up that they did at their studio for their client and all of these things are perfectly great ways to communicate to me so i would rather not step on their creative process Mm -hmm. it's a lot easier for me because to me the one boundary i always need to have is i need to know what all these pieces are that need to go in here how you go about getting that to me uh, i don't want to disrupt your process Uh, but the clients that usually don't work for me are the ones who uh, are very, either reticent to share that sort of thing, or are just very bad at, at keeping organized in any sort of way that they can transfer that information. And there, there have been a few former clients that <laughs> that it was no, it's 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 hard to say. Sometimes it, some people are able to thrive off of chaos, and I don't use the word chaos as a bad thing. Right. Um, but I'm much more of a person. Uh, it's it's, and this is going to sound like an odd uh, simile, but it's like the Muppets. There are Muppets who are creatures of order and there are Muppets who are creatures of of like anarchy and chaos and that's not it's not as much a judgment as it is just how how people operate their lives and and so for me it's more the people who uh, want me to to add order to what they're doing so they can understand what it is that they're creating. Um, So so for me it, it is it does start off with a bigger conversation and gets to the small pieces parts and I've I have realized that just through practice that I've gotten really good at also, uh, like once I can take a look at a venue or that people are sharing all this information, it's pretty easy for me to uh, to realize what, what pieces of the puzzle that they haven't provided yet. And mm-hmm. uh, they may talk about the floral and the menu, but they don't show me any information about place settings, which usually uh, is an indication that... Uh, either it's not as, as important or that it's something generic. But at the same time, I usually then ask that question. It's like, right. oh, I noticed you haven't sent this. So it's, I, I really realized that it's my responsibility to make sure I'm getting the information I need so that I can start assembling it. And that, uh, in many ways, it's never been a process of, uh, you hand me all this stuff, I come back, magic has ensued and you have this completed Uh, Rendering For me, it's it's always this conversation back and forth where I'm uh, starting to build the pieces of the puzzle and then starting to assemble them and then I'll show them what uh, those assembled pieces look like at that moment. It would start out with, here are some viewpoints. Uh, Does this viewpoint communicate what you want to communicate with the wedding? Because sometimes it's like, I need them to understand how the space is set up, but other times it's, I want to express the feeling uh, when they when people first enter the room, which it tends to be a big one, it's like what's that first big wow moment? Uh, for others, yeah. it's entertainment, and so it's 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 always hard to kind of eke that out because they have had their conversations with their client, uh, but that doesn't always necessarily come across in what they're sending to me. Uh, so I I always feel the more I can the more interesting answers I can get from them, the better the work I can you know create in the end. Uh, But yeah, but uh, through that whole process, it's this idea, not just that I'm uh, assembling the puzzle, but I'm also allowing them to say, well, do we want to change what the puzzle is? It's Mm -hmm. it's a question of, uh, there's this idea that you had that worked really great with uh, what you've shown so far, but when you start to put all these things within context with these ideas that you have, does it work? And if it it doesn't, or if you're disappointed in what you see, um that do we want to change what that is because to me it's always i want people i want design to be as effective as possible and if if a client can uh you know look at 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 what i've asked them to do and say you know what i I, this is pretty but the client really loves it. really wants us to feel mysterious or, or very magical and and then we we can start to have a more specific conversation about Okay, so what do we feel needs to be added to it? Because in the end, there's nothing uh, embarrassing about just being able to say, hey, this idea that I thought would work doesn't quite work as well as I'd like to, but when do you want to discover that? During the design process or after you've spent a lot of money building something that doesn't quite work?
0: And that goes to the value of having enough time working together. (laughs) Yeah. So what you diplomatically uh, touched upon right now is the concept of creative control and I am uh, a self-described and and fairly proud uh, control freak. I don't look at that as a negative. And I think that the majority of us in our industry are control freaks. I think actually that probably is a good thing and it helps. We all wanna make sure that we're we're putting in our best effort and we are controlling whatever we can control uh, because we work in an industry with a lot of uncontrollables as well. So I think with that said, The way that your perspective is framed is that your end client is essentially the planners that bring your concept to the end user and you need to guide them, not overtake the creative control, but sort of steer it to say, here are our ideas, my blending together and showing the client. And then the client really needs to think, oh, this is great. This is what I had in my head. So really it's like a team effort of so many different people putting together something where they need to show the end user whatever it was in their head hopefully coming to fruition
1: Uh, yes and when and when it comes down to even any sort of say creative control or creative license that i have Mm -hmm. uh, that sometimes depends on my relationship with uh, my client in that some have asked me it's like well how much do you are you going to be uh, contributing to this creative. and I said I said to me it's a sliding scale of whatever you're comfortable with if there's something you're unsure about and you want my ideas I'm happy to to contribute that but at the same point it's that um, for me I know that I don't want to be stepping on any creative uh, toes unless I see something going really wrong but I even then I I usually frame it as Oh, so I'm drawing this, but I'm concerned that, <laughs> that it's right. always, yeah, it's usually a phrase of like, I'm concerned that, and it's usually something that doesn't quite seem right to me, but uh, nine times out of 10, they'll respond and, and say, Oh, well, yes, they asked for this, like the client asked for this or or whatnot. And they'll be able to tell me the reason, the reason why. Um, but usually it's, it's me just to be there to help them and their vision I've definitely had events that I've gotten to uh, design, which tend to be more in the corporate realm uh, mm-hmm. that I've gotten to uh, uh, do some stuff uh, through some other clients for target where I got to uh, have actually a good, a nice amount of, uh, I would say artistic control in that um, they had a basic idea. And I kind of had this idea of how to flesh it out, which was not, um, you know, dictated to me in any, in any particular way. It was a, it was a uh, booth for the E3 conference that was trying to harken back to kind of like those food service booths and bars that you now see at, at major airports. Okay. And so I just found a number of like shapes that I thought were really interesting. And I, I was given the creative freedom to kind of then create a form out of that that fell within that, that idea, that basic concept. And so that to me was where I really got to be the most amount of a designer and also where my set design background you know, comes in, but with mostly with weddings, it's little things like, hey, should we add some votives on the tables? Uh, I feel like this, you know, isn't moody enough, and they'll say, oh yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Let's do that. That's <laughs> I, I, t- I tend to add candles and sprigs of things here and there Got when it. it comes down to weddings.
0: Yeah, if we oversimplify your process, it's just votives and uh, baby breath.
1: Right, right. But on <laughs> the, on the other, yeah, on the other side, though, it come, when it comes into lighting, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, and while I am, I can, I would never say that I am a lighting designer. I definitely had training in it in mm-hmm. theater, both the mechanical side of it, but also uh, either the psychological, but also just how does lighting change a space, both you know scale wise, mood wise. Uh, how does it transform things? How does it affect color? And I think a lot of uh, event designers and planners that's not something which they've been given a background for. And so in terms of their use, I would say their use of language in regards to communicating that I tend to be the person who is often initiating uh, what is the mood that we want with lighting. And it, it often has to be something more specific than just the word romantic or moody. Uh, <laughs> but, but even then it's like, I, I will create context. It's like moody, you mean like, like dim candlelit, and, you know, like dramatic, or are you talking, oh, this is, you know, evening at a nice romantic restaurant. You know, I always try to create some visual context or we'll find a photo that I feel might communicate what it is. But that I, I tend to more, say, steer the client when it comes to lighting because a lot of them have not had to have the conversation or that it's been kind of been dictated to conversations or vocabulary that they've used with, uh, with various lighting and AV vendors. Uh, so I tend to want to try to steer that more emotionally um and and to always be talking about it in regards to mood and i'll, I'll figure out where i'm going to put the lights in the in the virtual model to mm-hmm. in order to in order to do that because in the end it's about that bigger picture that the lighting is going to do uh you're not as worried about nuance when it comes to uh you know lighting uh, so right
0: yeah i think it's a matter of just making everything work within the the framework of the vision so really mm-hmm. it's just kind of you're the you're the creative, artistic, and spiritual guide of everything coming to, to, to their visualization.
1: Yes. Well, and it's also that everyone has such a, uh, an interesting way of communicating uh, yeah. their ideas. Uh, one thing I remember way back in, in my theater days was that uh, sometimes a director would come to me with a particular image uh, that they felt was important in regards to the idea. And this, in the same way that a bride and groom will have their Pinterest board, I really like this, I really like that. And, But being able to find the seed of what about that do they really like? Because uh, a picture of a rose trellis, is it about the color of the roses? Is it about uh, the general feel of it? Is it about the wildness of it? Is, is, it a, is it actually have not about the trellis, but there's just something in the photo that they love that sometimes trying to eke out uh, that when a person might say one thing, does it mean something related, uh, that, uh, like there, there's sometimes people will speak too literally about something when they're really referencing, uh, maybe an abstract concept or a memory. Uh, but what mm. I've found is, is that, uh, whatever it is they're trying to access is usually extremely valid. No one has ever, uh, even when the director, like a director had shown me something uh, one time it was like a tire wall. And what I mean by that is like those kind of playgrounds where the, Tires back when we were children, or maybe when I was a child, that that children around, yeah, yeah, that you yeah. could climb. Now, now those things probably are seen as unsafe, and they probably were. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. But it, well, all, yeah. all, all all the dirty water that would just kind of pool in the bottom about of, those of yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the fire, ten- ten- <laughs> but yeah. we didn't care about that when we were children because we would just play in the mud anyway. Um, right. but that, um, but that I remember that I was, I didn't. I would look at this thing, and it was it had nothing to do with the story. And but I knew that there was something about it, whether it was this kind of ad hoc way that it had been put together, or was it about that feeling of play? Uh, but that that whatever that seed is that's speaking to them is always really important. And it's and while it can be difficult, it's always it, it's always worthwhile to spend that time to to decipher what that is, because I think what we think something is and what uh, it really means that someone can be completely different. And so it's, it's, I, I feel like that's something we always have to uh, struggle with on every project.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it kind of makes you sound like a little bit like a therapist. You're like, well, I know you like <laughs> that photo, but why? Let's, let's dig back. Right, yes, exactly.
1: So tell yeah. me about your idea. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so speaking of that, speaking of kind of looking back and reflecting, you made a, a few allusions now to your uh I, I would guess career formative years you talked about your yeah. your experiences as a set designer mm-hmm. and i want to just jump back and rewind like all the. Awesome. Way back. you are growing up in
1: michigan correct uh yes i mean i uh, i when people ask where i grew up i usually say michigan because i had lived in like eastern pennsylvania and mm-hmm. New jersey but all of that was before i was eight years old okay and so it was not for long enough uh, While well, I remember New Jersey, uh, mm-hmm. uh, it's like I only remember the day that I left Pennsylvania. It was like <laughs> my, one of my earliest memories when I was like maybe like two and a half.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: but to me, it's like I consider that that the biggest stable chunk of my childhood was was from second grade onwards because th- that's where I lived until I went off to college. Okay.
0: So the reason I bring that up is because you're in Michigan and obviously things are a little different now, but, but during your formative years and when you were, I guess just exploring, like most children do, your creative process. Did you get to a point? Because I, I highly doubt you were sitting in uh, elementary school one day and you were like, "I'm going to be doing event visualization one day."
1: And I'm oh god! Do yes. It here. No. I mean, every every shift in my career or any creative shift is as usually. Uh, I I usually joke that it's by accident uh, mm-hmm. or by happenstance. Uh, in that. Um, I had started out realizing that I was pretty good at drawing even in elementary school it was like I actually almost failed health class because we had to do all these drawings uh, that were you know based off of the illustrations and in the like the biology book except I would be doing I'd be trying to do it as as like all the shading all of the articulation of all of that and so out of like 12 things that we needed to draw I only got two of them done so I, I got like a the slightly passing grade with it but it was also that realization looking back on it that yes I was a perfectionist I was trying to accurately reproduce what I had been given while everyone else was like scrawling out you know uh, a, a, a vaguely heart-shaped thing and meanwhile here I am drawing all the various uh, uh, organs or pieces of like the inner ear canal <laughs> and, and so I knew that there was a certain I was doing I was diving way too deep but uh, but no, but even from being an artist to then having a lot of friends in theater, that then I decided to just meander over to the theater one evening, and suddenly there I am working backstage. Uh, and then in undergrad, uh, realizing that you know creating sets, creating places was something that really excited me. To then uh, you know being in the- doing theater till maybe about two thousand eight, where Um, as a side gig, well, not even as a side gig, I would say my day job was working for a TV show designer. And I was Mm. doing, um, I was doing renderings for him, but I was, this was before I even knew how to do 3D modeling. So I did, it was all work I would do in Photoshop. uh, And even that Photoshop work had came, came from my first job in New York working for a projection, for a projection designer. I mean, Mm. now you would say a video designer, but at the time it was still slides. And I was learning how to uh, how to do that and uh, and almost every skills that I've had has, has had to be self-taught other than learning to be a set designer in college so it's it's you know each each thing has been this happenstance sort of sort of thing that then even getting into an uh, into events a colleague of the tv show designer had uh said oh uh, another colleague of mine is working on this wedding and they need you for three days to to help on these renderings and uh, to me, wedding design wasn't even a thing in my head. Like I didn't even realize right. that it existed. Mm-hmm. And but after my first day, the guy I was working for said, you know, Preston Bailey's hiring. And my, I, I think my actual res- literal response was, I don't know anything about flowers. And he said, <laughs> don't worry, you don't have to. They will teach you.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. um,
1: and yes, and I definitely know the names of a huge number of flowers now. Um, okay. And if I don't know the name, I pretend to and then look it up on Google. But that, uh, yeah, but that, uh, yeah, I mean, it, pretty much they needed me for my set design uh, skills, my drafting skills, and such. And that's how, then suddenly there I was thrust into the middle of events. Like, I think four days after I had started on that project for that one designer, I had already been hired by Preston, and then there I was working for him for two years. So, uh, my, being thrust into working for Preston, uh, That for people inside the industry that would be this godsend, but for me it was just like I don't know who anyone else is. So this (laughs) is a guy who does this very theatrical work. Uh, I mean, if it had just been flowers on tables and pretty linens, I probably wouldn't have taken the job. But I saw that his work was very theatrical, and I said, "This is right up my alley." And and there I was. And even after I after I uh, left that office, there was that question of, "Do I want to do weddings?" I was I was actually. Uh, actually went down to Florida for a month to see if I could get a a job with Walt Disney Imagineering, which didn't end up happening. Although I ended up meeting a lot of people who were part of that group and Mm -hmm. it's, it's, but it it is very much uh, influenced my beliefs about uh, where design uh, comes into, into play and, and the, the process that it needs to be. So to me, it's like, that's always what I've, Wanted to strive for in terms of if philosophy was what the Imagineers do for the Disney parks and the Disney experience.
0: Awesome. So, with all that time you spent, uh, I guess backstage or near a stage, did you mm. ever get that acting bug to be on stage? Um,
1: I actually did get to oh, in okay. high school. Uh, in okay. high school, for well, here's the thing. Um, <laughs> at least this was at least this was true back in the '80s or early '90s. Was that uh, if you were a guy? and you wanted to be in a musical, as long as you could take direction and uh, sing on tune, you you could be in the musical. You wouldn't necessarily get a named part, which in fact I didn't until my senior year. <laughs> so I was I was like the uh, first show, 42nd Street, I was the back row dancer. I wasn't even given taps on my tap shoes because I was not, I was not, I was not even I, I, I to <laughs> You're still in it and you're on 42nd Street. That's pretty impressive. Sure. sure. Sure, okay. but it's, yeah, I got to be Yussel the hatmaker in fiddle on the roof where I literally had uh three lines, but I was playing opposite of David Burtka, who's the who's an actor and the husband of uh, Neil Patrick Harris oh. uh, so, yeah so he was yeah he was uh, 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 classmate at, at the time but nice uh, but yeah but I did there was a an Edward Albee play called the American Dream, and I actually got to play a major part in that but I just, I found out very, I I didn't even necessarily want to audition for anything in college. Uh, There was that thought of whether it was something I wanted to explore, but one semester of acting for non-majors made me realize it was like, I'm too uptight, I'm too cerebral uh, when it comes to, I'm like, how should I say this? Should I say this? with this particular intonation. And so it was, it was more about like rehearsing for a radio play than anything else. But the time I really had fun with it was uh, we had to, uh, we had an exercise where we had to go to the local zoo and, and just choose an animal and study their behavior. And I ended up finding an elephant. And, as, as you can tell by how I'm talking right now i'm I'm not a slow talker, and so <laughs> and so in fact, when I was a child, I ended up having to go to speech therapy because all my words would blend together into this big mess, and oh, so I had, to, I had to learn how to articulate um, and so, with this elephant, it was just the fact that it would do these repetitive uh, slow motions I, like it was almost as if it was like stuck in some sort of uh, time loop and uh, so everything it did was very slow and deliberate and but we, then we had to kind of take those mannerisms and create a human character and it was it we could we could improvise whatever we were saying but it was that idea that we had to imbue ourselves with the, with the uh character of of that animal but without telling people what it was so there i was uh pretending to be like a guy uh fumbling with his homework and i saw so i while i'm a person who might want to pace i it was just this slow kind of rocking forward and backwards like i take a step forward and take a step back and i would i would just like extend my arm and like and just slowly reach it above my back and scratch my back and it was just i would just kind of talk mm-hmm. like this I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. it was so much fun because then I realized that what I enjoy and and my wife would probably attest to this is that I'm I have a lot more fun when I'm mimicking something. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And so, like she, she jokes that I should be a voiceover artist. In that we'll watch we'll watch a, a cartoon and yeah. I'll be able to or to redo some of the voices or at least the characterization because to me that's where I can have some fun is is just. I think with characters that you know if you're just imbuing yourself with those characteristics it's much more believable at least for me than to like how should I read such and such a line but if you if you have a sense of like the mannerisms of something that's at least what for me would work would work more but I was just like this is this is too much work and I want to create art and I mm-hmm. want to create visible art <laughs> and so it was uh, that it was it was very obvious that that acting was never going to be for me but but also I then would have a huge respect for the actors, especially in the program I was in. Um, you could tell the ones who had worked really hard and were able to, uh, you know, it, I mean, in the end, it is about uh, the the uh, suspension of disbelief and mm-hmm. you know, people who can just create compelling characters, not compelling people, but compelling characters because, uh, i was corrected i was corrected by a professor once by saying no none of these people are pe- none of these characters are people uh characters are distillation of people that uh, you can have very complex characters but they're never as fleshed out and as complex as a real human being that they it's it's a distillation in the same way that a play is a distillation of of a story it is it there is a limit to it and but it also creates a boundary between say an actor that we know as a person and mm-hmm. the character that they play, like um, th- uh, I don't know if there's a, there's the actor uh, Jack McBrayer. Uh, he yeah. used to yeah Kenneth the page on yep. on Thirty Rock. He mm-hmm. was also he was a classmate in college and oh awesome. He, he was he wasn't even an acting major uh, <laughs> uh, when he did that, and he he had also minimized his Georgia accent when he was at Evansville, and and uh, but then he re- I think through Upright Citizens Brigade, he uh, was working with, um, I'm trying to remember the, uh, the main character, the, 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 oh, Tina Fey, that she had yeah. uh, got him on the show, but it was like, but that these were, everyone who, who was in this program would work really hard and the people who didn't just, you could tell, and they were they soon <laughs> were not part of the program because there wasn't necessarily a work ethic or a passion or a care uh, for that creative process. It was just something that they might have been really good at in high school, and and didn't really have a, an underlying foundation. Uh, and 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 that also happened with some of my design colleagues. It's like they went off to grad school and said, "You know what? I enjoyed this when I was doing in college, but now that I realize that I'm, I might be doing this for the rest of my life, this isn't what I want to do anymore." <laughs> and, right. Yeah. And that's. It, but to me, that's a great thing to learn. It's a great thing to learn what you do, why uh, why you do something, and and when 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 you're done
0: yeah well you don't want to do it and that's fine it's better to know you don't rather than be miserable forever doing it right <laughs> yes yes you, you had some really interesting i guess uh tutelage if you will because you you start from like just uh d- draw this anatomy book from scratch right. <laughs> to, right, right to go mimic an elephant or whatever you can find at the zoo um yeah. so do, do you think like that formed some sense of uh just you understanding your own creativity. Like, because uh, when you were saying you were doing the elephant impression, I'm like, in my head, I'm like, that's actually a, a pretty good, even before you said it, I'm like, that's a pretty good, uh, like, voiceover for a cartoon. And I'm like, you can hop on Fiverr and just, like, record a bunch of
1: stuff right now. Right, right. Well, and I, I have friends who are voiceover artists. That's the fun thing about having done theater. But no, it's, it's, I think what it comes down to in my head is that, have, you know, you that, where I struggled in graduate school uh, was uh, I felt that like there's a particular process that I had to go by or, or that I had to flesh things out in a certain way. And that made it take forever for me to do projects and, until I had a deadline. Uh, but that <laughs> one of the things that r- was interesting is that then when I came to New York and I was assisting a, a, a number of designers, I mean, I've probably worked for maybe like, I don't know, 20 different designers that each of them had a different creative process and some thought the others were full of crap. So it was like, there was this realization that there was no really wrong way to go about your creative process if it works for you. Uh, yes, and I, I, yes, and I believe the same thing in regards to mediums like, uh, People will ask me, oh, what program should I use to do renderings? And I'm just like, whatever works for you, you don't even necessarily need to use a computer. You could sit down and sketch if that if that allows you to express yourself. So to me, it was that once I had the freedom to be the designer I wanted to, that through maybe, maybe through these, the osmosis of these varied experiences, that I realized that there was there's no wrong way to go about it. There might be inefficient ways, you know, mm-hmm. but if it works for you, then it works for you. And right. so, so to tell someone else that they that they have to change their process. Um, it, 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 and maybe this goes back to, yes, when people are reticent to hire me, is like this feeling that they need to change their creative process. And while they will have to alter it somewhat, like uh, I did a project with Valerie Gernhauser, uh, Sapphire Events down in, in New Orleans, and uh, we were putting together stuff for uh, uh, what we ended, what ended up being a virtual reality presentation. And she's used to doing that stuff a lot closer to, or uh, the, the figuring out what some of these details were specifically, she was used to doing later in the process, but that she realized that uh, with working with me that she had to make these decisions earlier. And while that was, at, well, it took her a while to kind of figure that out. It was one of those moments where she said, ah, okay, this is what, how I have to shift my thinking in order to do this. And once she did, it was, and you know, ended up working really well, but it was a bit of a struggle at first because you know, it's like we, we have, we have our habits and I don't necessarily want to break people's habit, but there is going to be some point at which, at which everyone has to compromise a little bit. And if, if people are willing to kind of give up maybe some of that ownership of their process or the, or me saying, don't worry, I got your back. Trust me on this. I just, you know, or, or often the designer will have their assistant deal with like some of those specifics. Cause they just, they want to work on the big picture, but right. they'll have their assistant send me all the specs for the furniture. And that's fine. It, you know, I just, I, it, to me, I don't, I, I don't want to interfere with people's uh, creative process. I actually want to help strengthen it.
0: Awesome. And that really goes back to, I say it all the time, like it's a team effort and sometimes <laughs> you have to make adjustments and that's fine because we're all yeah. working towards the same goal, but the goal is always varied a little bit event by event right. so yeah of course you have to be a little bit you have to have a little bit of flexibility you got to be a little right. bit um i do think there is something to be said about creative control and keeping your process in play but also yeah. having that small percentage of flexibility to go but i'm a team player and at the end of the day it's whatever's going to create the best result for the end product
1: right right and when it came down to theater that was always an extremely collaborative process i mean mm-hmm. the director right. might have their vision but uh, no one Unless something really was just not logically going to work, you wouldn't have one person saying no, we're not going to do that. Uh, while I think, um, I think there's a deg- that sometimes in events there can be a degree, especially with a very well-known planner or designer, that uh, you know that an ego can come into it because there's a certain level of visibility in in events and weddings that there isn't as much with theater. I mean, while you, while people will, while people may if I was to say a famous director of a movie or a play, uh, or or in theater, people would more, more likely know that name. But if you said, name one famous set designer, people don't. <laughs> and sure. so it's, it's yeah. yeah, there's, so in terms of, it's not a normative thing in people's minds. And so, uh, and so I think most, the theater designers have been able to, uh, they might have their own creative egos, but that sense of, uh, of oh I'm I'm this I only do such and such you often don't have that kind of control in theater but with with uh, weddings and event planning you have a lot more uh, creative control because the planner is is the director um, and while they might also be the designer that you know at some point they're they're kind of becoming the tour uh, with you know the big creative vision and so it's it's kind of harder to give that up and. And holding on to it and giving it up is neither is wrong. It's just in terms of what allows it to happen.
0: Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I guess that's part of the process. Like everybody's process is a little different. Yeah. Now, well, all those years in in the theater is that what we can uh, I guess attribute to the love of ragtime? Oh well,
1: it's a little <laughs> bit of it. I mean, it's like I remember as a kid occasionally hearing like some Scott Joplin music, and I've always found yeah. it really. Interesting it also harkens back to a particular era that I just at least visually love. I love like the whole art deco art nouveau period mm. of time visually just the 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 creativity of the art like the work of Frank Lloyd Wright uh, and but to me the ragtime is I think what's interesting for me is music uh, I mean I come from a family where my mother was a music major. My mm. brother is very musical um uh, my dad and I never learned how to read music, <laughs> um, okay. and and for me uh, that uh, uh, while my wife is a composer and librettist, that, and while I appreciate her music, music has not meant necessarily always meant the same thing to me. It is never. It's it's I'm not the person who's always listening to music uh, uh, during a commute or needs to have music going on in the background. While well, meanwhile, my my brother went to more concerts. Uh, than than plays that I've seen in my entire life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so so to me it, that's it's I tend to like stuff that's either very kind of uh, visceral, even whether that's like Carl or S- Carmina Barana or uh, I even remember listening to like some goth music in in high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was I was too cheerful to be goth. <laughs> I, I could do the hair, <laughs> but I could, do, I could do the emo hair, but I could not really do the emo mood. I right. mean, um, we all went through teenage angst, but to me, it was just like I might wear a, a, a shirt with a skull on it, but I'm not going to do the mascara. Uh, but it's, <laughs> uh, but at the same time, you know, I I might look like I came from Depeche mode, but um, <laughs> but no, to me, it's that there's this uh, there's this beauty to uh, there's energy to it. There's this like uh, a whimsy. It, yeah, I also want to say whimsy, or at least a perceived whimsy, and whether that's okay. from like from like uh, uh, and. But at the same time, it's like a, there's also the music, the actual musical ragtime, where uh, that style of music is is used a lot. But it's also this very dark show. I mean, because mm-hmm. it's also because you know there's that always that sense of hey, look at this beautiful nostalgia of that time. But it's like yes, look at the rampant racism and <laughs> and, yeah. and yeah, people like the Rockefellers who were probably the robber barons of their time and and you know all these cultural divides and it's so. Yeah. But to me, it's, but I, I can still appreciate the art of the time and, and, uh, but for me also that, uh, how that music has also then, uh, evolved. but it was also, I think one of, uh, there's also another link to Scott Joplin for me in theater, which was that, uh, back in 2006, I got to do uh projection design for a production at Lincoln Center of a Scott. Scott Joplin actually did an opera, um, Really? called Trina Fisha, And it okay. was, and. Uh, i when someone described to me where they said, You know what ragtime is one of the first kind of maybe purely american uh uh forms of music yes I would agree yeah. yeah yeah, and so to me it was it there was maybe there was something about that i'm not even quite sure, but to me it was like the there's uh, there is just such this beauty uh, i think uh to his music i don't necessarily know what it is uh and uh, but But for me, if someone said, oh, how do you feel about country? How do you feel about classical? How do you feel about uh, these various genres? It's like, it kind of depends on the context. I mean, there's stuff of Jackson 5 I love. There's stuff, uh, I remember there was, uh, I don't know if you ever remember the, I guess, I don't know what form of music it is now, but there was a band called Skinny Puppy back in like the 1980s. It was like Susie and the Banshees, but even darker. Um, oh boy yeah okay. and like, and like not even necess- it, sometimes it was also just like a little bit electronic uh, and, and you know uh, guttural and, and weird but it had a theatricality to it um, mm. and maybe to me it was like things that have a theatricality uh, this kind of not necessarily a larger than life but uh, uh, things and experiences that are heightened like a cheerful and, goth. what like a cheerful goth. yeah like a cheerful <laughs> goth. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> Uh, although when I think of cheerful goth, I just think of like, the, there's a South Park episode where they try to figure out the difference between like the emo people and the, and the, uh, uh the goths. Yeah. Uh, or, and then, and then also the people who pretended that they were vampires. And I was, and whenever I see that episode, I just think of like, I'm just like, I'm so glad I'm not a teenager anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, um, uh, but no, to me, it's like, uh, even, uh, even in college at one point I was taking a sculpture class and one of my, uh, one of my friends uh, realized that everything that I was doing had like some sort of theatricality of, uh, about it. Um, mm-hmm. You know that there was some sort of story, there's something dramatic about it. While at the same time, I often consider that I'm one of the quieter uh, uh, people in weddings. <laughs> in terms of like, I don't really, sure. yeah, I don't really publicize it. But but of course, we've had conversations before, and you know that it's like you get me started on something, I can talk for an hour about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's more of like that faucet that is then tr- gets turned off a lot. And then when it decides to flow, it's like whoosh, right, right. <laughs> you bring me out on stage, fin- You're right, finally, yeah, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, it's, I, I consider it's like I'm either off or on in regards to uh, uh, expressing myself, because uh, often I just want to be able to do my art and 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 relax and find a sense of peace. Uh, but at the same point, it's, it's, it's like if there's, it, I've started to realize much more what I really kind of care about and what I'm passionate about yeah. And so when it starts to talk about stuff like that. Then, yes, I can I can talk someone's ear off until they're like, yeah, well, I've got to mingle. So I'll talk to you later. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I think it's important to know when you can turn it on and off. And if you know yeah. how
0: to um, adjust and how to kind of control that, that's the most important yeah. part, especially in a networking setting, because there's so many opportunities, like you said. And we've been yeah. you know, in them so many times. Uh, yeah. Let me t- tell me real quick. How long have you been in New York now?
1: I've been living in New York for, I would say, close to 21 years. I moved here oh, wow. I moved here in July of 1999 okay. uh, and have been here ever since. I've been living in Brooklyn since the summer of uh, 2016. And, oh, I
0: was going to say, so you've seen Brooklyn change quite a lot then, but
1: <laughs> uh, well, um, since yes your time yes in the New York, York at least. Yes and no. What's interesting is that one of the people that I had assisted way back in the day, uh, like 20 years ago, he... Hmm. Um, he still lives in brooklyn but he uh he actually used to live two blocks up my street from me mm-hmm. and so uh i do remember what some of the streets and avenues looked like you know 15 years ago and how much more it's developed uh the neighborhood has developed uh since then right. uh, so there's definitely certain things like there's cer- certain parts of like the area around fourth avenue which are now a huge hugely different than than they were before because now it's all residential and we have a whole foods and 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 high-rises and such so but yeah which before it was just purely industrial yeah exactly
0: yeah every, i think every um area there has gone through a little bit of transformation so exactly. what, what would you say uh is now your quintessentially new york favorite thing to do
1: Oh, that's a good question. I, I have a, I have a number of things. Uh, like, I mean, I always love being in Central Park because uh, one, it's like you can walk uh, about a block's length in and you don't hear the cars anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also in a in a city that is so dense that having this open space is really nice. I mean, I living in Brooklyn now. It's like I'm close to Prospect Park, and that is also, you know, it's I think it's the same uh, landscape architect. Uh, you know who did it but it's it's uh for me getting to getting to go to the parks is is definitely one of my things um i mean for me i love to just go for walks in the neighborhood or or wherever uh, so just getting to explore places that you haven't been before um yeah. okay and i think as an well i think as a new yorker there's also certain quintessentially new york things which are uh you stay away from all the tourist stuff
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and like i have yet to go up and in, in, i have have not been to ellis island or the statue of liberty uh i only went into uh I o- i'm only around 42nd street if i maybe want to see a movie or i'm going to see a broadway play uh but for the most part i skipped Times square itself mm-hmm. uh, just because it, there's too much traffic but if you go to 8th or 9th avenue there's all these great restaurants so okay. i think maybe yeah i guess i'd say uh food in New York is definitely to me a, a quintessential experience. My wife and I are, are constantly trying to, uh, find like a great place. Like we, this last year, we created this uh, habit of during the summer months to find a really nice hotel bar and just to have our, have a date night there, you know, nice. having, have, having a drink or cocktail and experiencing it. Uh, and so, uh, or just each, each year on our, uh, dating anniversary, we try to, uh, you know go to like a different place that w- we either really like or would love to experience. So to me it's 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 finding those dis- finding and discovering uh you know all the unique things that New York has to offer because there's just so much that it has to offer.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Have you been to Winnie's Jazz Bar? No, I have not. Where is that? Um well, it's definitely in midtown I'll send you I'll send you a link I don't remember the exact yeah. address I think it's near the ref- or
1: it was the refinery hotel I want to say okay um, oh it's, um, it's it, is it is it on the first floor like when you go yeah. in yeah 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 okay actually strangely enough before I met my uh, before I started dating my wife there was um I ended up uh, going out on two dates with a singer mm-hmm. uh, who actually sang in in that in that in that bar oh, she okay yeah. um, I'm, I'm uh, Tara O'Grady because uh, she has a like a whole like album called like Black Irish because she has this like almost as Ella Fitzgerald style voice and uh, and also even like the way she it, it, there are a number of those uh, especially event performers who also keep their looks so that they look similar to like the 1920s and 30s in terms mm-hmm. of like hairstyle and such and yeah so yeah she, i got to listen to her watch and listen to her perform on her second day she's just, she's just like no you should come and we'll you know you get to hear me sing and and she was impressed that i was able to like mouth the words to a number of the songs nice. uh, but no i but i i know where you're i know that place that you're referring to it, it was it was quite nice
0: nice spot yeah so real quick right now, I want to just pivot to a quick little game, if you want to call sure. it that. It's a lightning round. I'm going to give you a couple options. Really, I just want you to go gut reaction, just whatever sure. you feel like is is your option here. I'm going to give you two different things to choose from, and you go with whatever makes you more comfortable, all right? Great. Okay. Great. So Tupac or Biggie? Uh, neither. Okay. Beatles or Rolling Stones? Beatles. And
1: Sink or Backstreet Boys? of neither porsche or porsche uh depends on whether it's the shakespeare play or the car nice the car porsche or porsche Uh, i i I don't know how it's supposed to be pronounced but i would that's how i make the difference okay Like I would it, I would make sure that whatever one that whatever one the car is supposed to be I would make the Shakespearean character sound different. The other one.
0: <laughs> Got it. Okay. I want I would love to hear you like whenever that comes up in conversation you would have to just kind of pivot into Shakespeare somehow right. to get
1: that in. <laughs> uh necktie or bow tie. Um Oh, you know what? Uh neither in that well, well I don't I how should I say this? I tend to not wear ties unless I absolutely have to. And it's like a black tie affair. And okay. usually those have already been pre-tied. I maybe own six ties that either have been given to me or back when I thought that I needed to wear ties, but wow. I can actually not tie a, a, a necktie. I actually have to watch a little video to remember okay. <laughs> and, and a bow tie and someone else just needs to do it for me because I have, I have no idea. I'm, I'm more, I'm fine with looking elegant, but I, I'm not a person. I'm not a, a, a tie uh person but if it's if it's required I'm like it needs to be pre-done <laughs> and so that I can clip it on
0: <laughs> gotcha
1: okay no problem friends yeah. or fraser oh uh you know what uh, then it would have been friends now it would have been fr- it would be fraser
0: i like that that's called uh, maturity and progress i like it uh <laughs> boutonniere <laughs> or, or pocket square and paste, yes <laughs> or <laughs> <laughs> exactly <boutonniere laughs> or pocket square
1: oh uh I would say Pocket Square.
0: Excellent. And I just want to allude back to one quick thing you mentioned earlier on. You talked about the different, uh, I guess, styles and characterizations of Muppets. Oh, favorite Muppet.
1: Oh, that's that's definitely a hard one. Um, I mean, I mean, ever. Here's the thing: everyone loves, uh, you know, uh, Kermit the Frog. Mm-hmm. And I mean, think of all the main characters. Uh, I mean, it's. I mean, Fozzie, to me, uh, there's both, he's both very funny, but also completely not funny because he's he's not aware that he's not funny. And that's what's <laughs> so funny about him. Um, there's also Rolf, uh, you know, that who's actually was around before Kermit. Uh, and is really, I sometimes feel like the biggest artist. And then, then, of course, there's, um, there's, you know Gonzo, but then I think the one that I've uh, that I tend to actually try to uh, I- impersonate, or or I love the characterization most of, is actually Pepe the Prawn. Okay. Yeah. Well, because well, what it's he's a he's a bit of a newer character, but he has his voice. Okay. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you know it's a, it, but it, my wife and I will use it as this joke of because uh, he he will refer to uh, a woman as the women's. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's like okay, you got the like the women's okay, mm-hmm. you know, but it, everything ends in okay, and and she actually bought me for my birthday one year. Uh, Pepe the Prawn actually wrote a book uh, called "It's Hard Out There for a Shrimp," and <laughs> and, and, and uh, but of whenever course. he right right, but yeah. but his he's just this odd. I think fe- he's just as odd as Gonzo, uh, but he's he's much smoother. <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know, it's a, you know, he knows how to flirt um, and. Um, and I've actually seen an interview with the guy who puppeteers him, and it's all based off of an aunt of his who actually spoke like that, that she she would always end with, okay. <laughs> and, <laughs> That's and funny. He says he's <laughs> up, just, just such an odd, uh, uh, he's just such this odd character. Um, uh, but it's, it's I think, yeah. So if I had to choose, choose one uh, in terms of favorite Muppet, in terms of one that most likely is who I am like like if you were a Muppet, what Muppet would you be? <laughs> it would more likely be something maybe something between Gonzo and Fozzie, maybe. I don't know. But it's uh, you know, just just it would need to be a weird it would be need to be a very weird character. Um, uh, and, and although I think my wife and I maybe we think we're the two aliens from Kuzbane. Um, <laughs>
0: you know yeah. if you've
1: ever seen if you've ever seen that where they're they're doing the mating ritual and they're just yelling at each other going whoop 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 oh, <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> we've we've gone off the rails but in a very good way i like yes it. of course <laughs> no fantastic um so we started i guess with uh with your career then we went to drawing uh or uh, replicating drawings in anatomy books um yes. then
1: mimicking elephants and now we're at uh mu- muppet like Oh now we're now at muppets which is really what my i think uh when it comes down to it i think a muppet is what my final form is going to be <laughs> <laughs> Well, who knows what we're in store for maybe we're you all know, gonna be Muppets. in video game logic your final form as a as a character is is you know yeah mine will be a muppet so whatever you tra- whatever you aspire to be i guess sure sure yes. yes so
0: i'm gonna before we wrap up i'm gonna give you the probably the most loaded question of them all um for a creative so i think in my opinion the biggest fear of a creative is being a uh, like a one trick pony or just being known for one thing and going oh that's cool. Matthew did that thing. Did you see that thing he did? And then that's like your whole, your whole story for the next 15 years. I think the biggest fear is just being stagnant and being known for only one specific thing. So what do you do with like, if you want to just give us bullet points, what do you do to keep your creativity flowing? And what do you do to sort of like to flex your creativity in a way to just make sure you're always
1: constantly thinking up new ideas? Well, I think it's, I think it's about not being complacent because this, this push to always be better or always find this new thing, a new trend, a new this, a new that. Yeah, it, I mean, I think it's a kind of a false way to go about it. I mean it's it's it, I mean, if you've just kind of lost your passion or interest in what you're doing, then yes, you need to leave it. But to me, this this push for what what is new is not I think is it, it it's it's that literal representation of a more abstract thing which is um, you know, what do you want to explore? How do you think things could be different and even most importantly why uh, mm-hmm. i mean for me it's it 's one of the questions i 'm asking now i mean because with what i do uh there's there there is that question of when uh, we 're able to um, you know be doing uh, a number of, of events with uh, uh, given the current situ- given the current pandemic situation that uh, how is that going to be? Different once we come back as it's going to be limited by a number of people for how long when we'll come back to what we think of it used to be before and That responding to those Problems to those questions is really about how you don't stay stagnant is because Conditions and life and culture are always going to be changing. And so it's important to to realize that at some point there might be parts of your creative process or things that you're valuing or caring about that uh, that you've just kind of kind of gotten into a habit of doing that it's this idea of those might need to change uh, you know to me this idea of well we need to get as many people in the room as possible uh if that if that no longer applies then uh when it comes down to your particular style when it comes down to uh your particular medium that you use that that can be whatever it is but the underlying uh, ideas, the underlying design, the other underlying problems that you're going to have to be solving are always going to be different. And if you think that those problems are always going to remain the same, that's, I think, where you become stagnant. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, yes, there are going to be people who uh, have found that their identity is kind of nailed into a corner, and you can either decide to live in that corner and be fine with it, and use it and take advantage of it for uh, for as long as you can, uh, and that's fine. But then if there's the other side of it saying, I don't want to be known for this, then this idea, of, I need to come up with something new. It's like, no, come back to your foundation, come back to what it is that you're important. And you might find th- th- this, this constant, this constant drive to find the next new thing is, is where nothing comes from it. It's, it's <laughs> that this idea that somehow uh, each of us as artists, that some, this, this belief that maybe we're not original is, is complete BS. I mean, it's, it's, each of us have had particular experiences that have formed who we are, and if we follow uh, that positively, if we take the strengths that come from that and our particular view, uh, viewpoint about whatever subject it is that we're willing to dive deep into, you're going to find something, a kernel, something that other people have never found. So this idea of 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 well, here, what's this new trend? What's this new thing? It's usually it, it, it usually doesn't stick for, for forever. Yeah. Uh, when people would talk about 3D printing for events, it was like, yes, that's nice, but to what end? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, we need to be thinking more about projection mapping. Sure, but to what end? Is it about telling the story or is it about the next new thing? And I I'd say have a foundation that is more based off of what is really important to you, not what you think the next trend or the next thing is going to be. Yes, take advantage of that when you can, but never make it who you are uh, unless, unless uh, being a trend follower or a trend setter is important to you, then sure, go with it. <laughs> that gets exhausting. So I think it's yes. more of yes, a, but no, some people have that energy to do it. I really? don't. <laughs> I, yeah. I I I don't have the energy to deal with brides and grooms, which is why I'm glad I'm purely <laughs> business business, and I never want that to change. But yeah, it's it's to me, it's like uh, I am rethinking how I can use my skill sets for different problems that I had to solve uh, before or additional problems or new mediums that I can use to tell my story. And that is going to keep me plenty busy uh, for a long time. So that to me is more of, of how can I tell my story better? Not, I need to come up with a cool new story. It's like, no, it's like, I know what my story is (laughs) and, and I'm going to stick with it. You know, love it. So just keep focusing on your, why that's, that's, yes. Oh that. yeah. To me, why is, why is the biggest question that one, a first pers- a designer and anyone creative should, should always ask. And then the next question after that is, is once you know why, then you can also ask why not.
0: <laughs> I like it. Very nice. So Matthew, I'm going to give you the last two minutes of yours. Anything that you want to share with the listeners, anything you're super excited about and please let everybody know how
1: they can find you. Sure. Uh, no, nothing nothing off the top of my head that I feel like people would need to know. But um, and, <laughs> well no no, it's like it's No, I like it. Keep it you know, keep it to yourself and then and then like, let's
0: let's, let's, ma-
1: let's maintain an air of mystery. Um so so like no I, Yeah. Um that uh well I guess apart apart from being a huge Disney Parks fan, that's mm-hmm. the that that's the only other thing maybe that i want people to know. But sure. in regards to getting in touch with me, uh my website is you know www.matthewmyrom.com. Uh, that's where you can see most of my work. I am on Instagram and Facebook. I have less than 20 posts on Instagram. So, uh, but every once in a while I will have some brain droppings that may show up on there, or you get to see a little bit of my newer work. Uh, but, uh, and I don't post very often on social media. So, uh, yeah, if you really, if, so just realize that I'm I'm not going to be uh, as an entertainment factory for that sort of thing. Um, but they can still reach you. Yes, but they can definitely reach me through there. You can also find my email address through uh, through there as well, and my phone number as well.
0: Fantastic, and we'll of course we'll post it up with the link also. Sure. So Matthew, thank you so much. I appreciate you being here. It's always a pleasure to chat with you, and uh, I just really enjoyed uh, listening to everything you had to say and basically learning a little bit more about your story, man. Well, thanks. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks again. Okay.